My name's Nigel. I'm the minister in Belmont, the newish minister of Belmont. Anybody from Belmont here this evening? No, that's good. <laughs> so I can use the sermon I preached this morning. That's great. Um, but uh, could you show your hands, please, if you're from Kirkpatrick? Just to give me a, an idea of the demographic here this evening. Great. Christoph's looking around as well, I see. Um, could you raise your hands if you're maybe family members of the, the folks? That's great to have you here uh, this evening. Well, um, what we do on an occasion like this, if you're not familiar with it, um, is that at this point in time in the service, uh, a, neighbor, a neighboring minister gets up and preaches for about an hour um, on a passage from the Bible. So set your watches and um, hope to do just that. But let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this very special occasion this evening in the lives of our friends who are seated at the front here. Thank you for your call upon their lives, their call to come to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, that call issued by your Holy Spirit, and also, Lord, the call into leadership. And we pray, Lord, as we open the Bible this evening, that we would hear your Holy Spirit speaking to us all, but especially our friends at the front, that they would hear you speaking to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, um, I see these folks at the front don't have Bibles. Could um, some people supply them with Bibles? Um, I'm hoping you'll base your eldership on the Scriptures. Uh, so if you'd open your Bibles at Philippians chapter 1, um, I've prepared this evening um, using the ESV, but it's the NIV in front of you, so um, you can follow that as well. And what I would hope to do is to reflect on just a couple of verses here in the first chapter of Philippians, and essentially to see what we can learn about our circumstances. And how our circumstances have a relation to our ministry. Because sometimes we're tempted to think that our circumstances preclude us and even hinder us in our ministries, and particularly in a leadership role. But hopefully, as we'll see this evening, that our circumstances under God's providence, instead of hindering our ministries, can actually help our ministries. And particularly as we promote the message of Jesus Christ and disciple other believers. So that's kind of a little snapshot of what we hope to do this evening. Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 14 are the verses that I intend to look at today. And they'll have direct relevance, I hope, to the new elders at the front, but also others who are serving in eldership, those who are in church leadership. But I hope even wider than that, everybody will, will take something uh, away from the service this evening. The first thing I want to say is, um, before I home in on a couple of thoughts in these verses, just to give a little background to what we're saying, and hopefully that will make um, more sense, a background sketch to this New Testament book of Philippians. This short book here is actually a letter. I'm sure we know that, written by the Apostle Paul in the very first century to a young, vibrant congregation. And as I hear stories about what's going on in Kirkpatrick here, I think that sounds quite similar. A young, vibrant congregation. And Paul uh, first set up the church in Philippi uh, on his second um, missionary tour. And you can read all about the first days of that church in Acts chapter 16. Of course, you'll read that whenever you get home, not during this um, particular talk. But I think significantly for us as Europeans, this is the very first church that's set up on the continent of Europe. So it has a lot of resonances, I believe, for us. Now, as you read through this letter, you'll notice it's very upbeat. 
written some 10 to 12 years after the foundation of that church, about the year AD 62. But by that time, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And it's from his prison that Paul writes to this church to thank them for gifts that they've sent to him by a member of the congregation who travelled all the way to Rome, at the ex- um, even risking his life. And he also addresses a couple of other issues that are going on in the church. One's to do with external opposition and the other has to do with internal strife. But before Paul actually addresses these issues, what he wants to do is he wants to reassure the congregation at Philippi that even though he's in prison, he's in good heart. And that through him, God is doing some amazing things, even in the prison there in Rome. So we'll turn to verses 12 to 14, and there are three things I want to say to you this evening. The first is this, and it's actually a question, how would you describe your circumstances? How would you describe your circumstances? Let's think, how would Paul have described his circumstances? From this letter... We see that Paul's very aware of his circumstances. Read through from the beginning to the end, but in particular look at verse 12 there, where Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, etc., etc. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me. Well, what has happened to Paul? About four years before this, whenever Paul was in the city of Jerusalem, he'd been accused by his fellow Jews of desecrating the temple. A Jewish mob tried to arrest, uh, tried to seize him, and for his own protection he was arrested. He was then shifted off to a place called Caesarea, and, and when, it was, when he was there he decided, you know what, if I stay in my own country I'm going to get an unfair trial, so what I'll do is I'll appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen. You read all about this in the book of Acts chapter 21 onwards. So Paul moves from Caesarea all the way to the city of Rome and has a very eventful journey over sea and land and even being shipwrecked along the way. But eventually Paul reaches the city of Rome and there he's placed under house arrest and from there he writes this letter to the Philippians. Now four times in chapter one, you can look through it and count them yourself, he talks about his chains. So how would you describe your circumstances, Paul? Well, I'm in Rome and I'm in chains. And Warren Wearsby, who is from Moody Church in Chicago, he summarizes the circumstances that Paul finds himself in in this way. He was a Roman prisoner, and his case was coming up shortly. He might be acquitted, or he might be beheaded. He was a prisoner in his own hired house, but he was chained to a Roman soldier and not permitted to preach in public. Paul had wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. Instead, he had arrived as a prisoner. And unfortunately, the believers at Rome were divided. Some were for Paul and some were against him. So did you get it? Paul, he's a prisoner in Rome. He's chained to Roman soldiers. He can't preach in public. And even some people in the Christian community aren't in full support of him. Would Paul have planned things this way? I don't think so. So it's no wonder if you turn to chapter 4 and verse 14 that Paul talks there about my troubles. You can almost hear that song, you know, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Paul could sing that very clearly. But how does Paul view his troubles when he's there in Rome? 
He doesn't go into denial and sort of say, always look on the bright side of life and pretend that the troubles aren't real. You read through the letter and he's acutely aware of the troubles that he finds himself in. He's very realistic. So did Paul become bitter and cynical about his circumstances? Did he become unbelieving? In fact, the very opposite is true. Paul views suffering for Christ as a great honor. Chapter 1 and verse 29. And in the midst of his incarceration, he expresses incredible joy. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 4 and 4. Some of you may have heard of Richard Wurmbrand. Um, he was a Lutheran pastor who was imprisoned under Ceausescu in Romania. Had the privilege of serving in Romania for three years and it took a great interest in people like uh, Richard Wurmbrand who by that time had died. But Richard Wurmbrand, when he was in prison, in solitary confinement, he said he used to get up every night and dance for joy. There in solitary confinement. Paul talks here about his gratitude, chapter 4 and verse 6. He talks about peace and contentment, chapter 4, 7 and 11. Not to mention the supernatural strength that he was given, chapter 4 and verse 13. So Paul is in dire circumstances, humanly speaking. Are these circumstances a hindrance to his ministry? They're not. They're actually, as we're going to see, a great help to his ministry. So back to our initial question that we were asked this evening. How would you describe your circumstances? Paul, how would you describe your circumstances? I think we have a bit of an idea what circumstances he finds himself in. So what about our new elders? I'm not going to ask you to stand up at the front here because you've already been embarrassed up at the front. But if you were to say, I want you to know, brothers and sisters here in Kirkpatrick, what has happened to me? What would you say? In fact, I wonder how any of us would answer that question, whether we're in leadership or not. How would we describe our circumstances? In fact, how would we finish off the sentence, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me? I don't think too many of us would have a story of of arrest or shipwreck or imprisonment. But I think some of us would have a story to tell of opposition that we faced for following Jesus Christ. But it may be closer to your experience to say, you know what has happened to me? And I say, I don't know really anything about you guys, um, and you Shirley from a long time ago, but we haven't really chatted for ages. Um, Imagine you were able to stand at the front and say, you know what has happened to me? I've lost my job. My marriage broke down. The kids have walked away from church. I'm facing a serious diagnosis. I'm struggling financially. I'm battling wrong desires. I haven't got a place at the university that I hope for. I'm really lonely. I'm heartbroken about a loss in my life. I'm learning to cope with some major disappointments. In essence, life hasn't turned out the way I hoped it had. And you may go on and say as a result, because of that, I'm not actually sure if God has called me into leadership. Because my circumstances would seem to suggest that these things would preclude me, exclude me from leadership. Or at least they might greatly hinder my leadership. Well, where do we go from here? The very fact that the congregation has, humanly speaking, placed their trust in you. And that the presbytery has supported this, has indicated that you're called to leadership. 
But we're going to look this evening about some surprising ways that God uses our troubles and our sufferings to promote the gospel to those who are on the outside and encourage the discipleship of those who are on the inside, particularly when we're in leadership. So the very first thing this evening um, that I've said is, what about your circumstances? The second thing that I want to get you to think about is, God can use your circumstances to advance the gospel. God can use your circumstances to advance the gospel. Look at verse 12 there. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Remember, Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. He ended up going to the capital city as a prisoner. How could his incarceration have advanced the message of the gospel? If he's chained in his own home, he's not able to leave that place. How can he be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in the city of Rome? Verse 13 tells us how. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard or palace guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul, sitting incarcerated in this home in the city of Rome, he doesn't wring his hands in despair. He understands that his imprisonment and his impending trial provide him with a very unique platform for sharing the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, one scholar has put it this way. Although suffering, Paul is scarcely languishing in prison. And another has noted, Paul's very confinement so far from curtailing the ministry of the word has led to an extension of the gospel. So Paul there in prison has had the opportunity of explaining to his captors that he wasn't under arrest for a crime or for a political matter, but he's there because of his Christian convictions. See what it says? It has become known that my imprisonment is for Christ. So according to verse 13, Paul the prisoner has the opportunity of explaining his faith to the whole of the imperial guard. Now, for those of you who enjoyed Star Wars, and I confess to being one of them, um, don't think of the Imperial Guard as guy with, with red helmets and red robes and, and big spears. There are not too many Star Wars fans I see in your congregation tonight. A blank look. Anybody like that thing? Yes, our elders at the front. Thank you. Thank, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, well, don't think about them. Um, the Imperial Guard in Rome are the emperor's own elite troops. Apparently there are about 9,000 of them in the city. And according to biblical scholars, these guards would have been with Paul around the clock on four to six hour shifts. And although Paul is never on his own, he's able to write letters, he's able to welcome people. But there you have Paul. If he'd been a free man, he wouldn't have had access to these really important people, the imperial guard, or with the rest, probably referring to those who are dealing with his case, the court officials and so on. And doubtless, those who've embraced the Christian faith for themselves came from the imperial guard and from some of the court officials. You can almost imagine the conversation taking place, you know, in the prison, where some guy says, what are you in here for, mate? And Paul says, well, I'm here because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, never heard of him. Who's that? And then he goes on to explain who Jesus Christ is. If you think some 19 centuries later, and the persecution of Christians continues. In fact, Christians are the most persecuted religious grouping on the planet. And yet there are many, many examples in our contemporary world of people who are imprisoned and persecuted advancing the gospel in the most unexpected places. Some of you may have read a book entitled Captive in Iran. 
It's written by um, two Christian ladies who were imprisoned in the notorious Evan prison in Tehran for sharing the gospel with their fellow Iranians. Uh, You would imagine that their imprisonment would have silenced them and hindered their ministry, but the exact opposite is the case. Their incarceration is used as an opportunity to share the gospel with the Muslim inmates and also with the staff there. In fact, they write, Evan Prison, the dreaded hellhole of Tehran and symbolic symbol of radical Islamic oppression had become our church, and so we prayed on. Now, some of us here um, may have the honour not just of believing in Christ, chapter 1, verse 29, but also of suffering for him. And one of the chief reasons God allows us to suffer is so that the message of Jesus Christ advances and reaches people in the most unlikely of places. There's a man way back in the second century called Justin Martyr. Um, in one of his works, in fact, he, he became a Christian primarily through the influence uh, as he watched Christian martyrs. He was inspired by them. And in one of his works, he wrote about the effects of the witness of these first Christian martyrs. And he uses an agricultural image here. Um, If you think of a grapevine and cutting it, uh, think of raspberry canes and cutting it and them growing and so on, you'll get the idea. And he writes, just as when one cuts away the parts of the vine that have borne fruit, it so bursts forth that other flourishing and fruit-bearing branches shoot up. In that very way, it is also with us. But let's consider our circumstances. Uh, If God is able to use what has happened to Paul, namely his imprisonment for Christ, to advance his ministry uh, by opening up new doors for the good news, do not think that he's able to use our troubled circumstances as a platform for sharing the good news of Christ. And all of this without undermining the seriousness and the pain of those troubles. I'll put it to you this way. If I wasn't a Christian... I think I would give a quicker listening to somebody who was a Christian and was going through the same difficulties as I would be going through. So, for example, if I was unemployed, I might be quicker to listen to a fellow Christian or to a Christian who's unemployed. If I was going through relational difficulties, I might be prepared to listen more quickly to a Christian's explanation of the gospel who is also going through relational difficulties. If I was going through cancer, I might be quicker to listen to a Christian who is going through that very same thing and is pointing me to Jesus Christ. And I want our elders to think of your own circumstances and maybe some of the sad or difficult things that have happened in your life and ask how might those things help advance the gospel and make me more effective in my leadership. You're here this evening and um, you're not a Christian. You haven't embraced the Christian faith for yourself. Um, I want you to think about a Christian that you know who's maybe through, been through a difficult and tough time and yet has exhibited great peace, courage and maybe even joy in their troubles. And I simply ask you to consider entering into that relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself. Because it's he, he is the one that we believe who brings us into right connection with God. And who brings us forgiveness and brings us freedom. And also he's the one who pours into our lives this incredible grace. And says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
Well, the last thing that I want to say this evening is God can use your circumstances to embolden other Christians. God can use your circumstances to embolden other Christians. So our first question this evening, how would you describe your circumstances? Secondly, God can use your circumstances to advance the gospel. And then thirdly, God can use your circumstances to embolden other Christians. Chapter 1 and verse 14 Paul says, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only did God use Paul's imprisonment to promote the gospel amongst the imperial guard and others in Rome, but he also uses Paul's arrest and imprisonment to encourage other Christians in Rome who are facing opposition, and he encourages them through his own courage in Christ to stand up and to speak out for Christ. And if you see there the words that are used, certainly in the ESV, it talks about them becoming more confident, becoming much more bold, they're able to speak without fear, and of course the word that referring to here is the gospel, the message of Christ. So Paul's in prison, and he's an inspiration to other Christians in Rome who are finding it difficult. William Taylor is the rector of St. Helens in Bishopsgate in London, and he actually observes that persecution very often leads to publicity. Persecution very often leads to publicity for the gospel. And he writes, the publicity sets people talking about Jesus, and then Christians, emboldened by the suffering of some, speak out. Just a, a personal um, illustration. For nine years, uh, I was minister in the Republic of Ireland. Um, just last, um, when was it? Last September, I came to East Belfast here. I'm looking at Christoph because he was the one who was moderator at that stage. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, my, my final years in ministry in Donegal were overshadowed um, by the referendum on marriage. There was a dark cloud over um, the final years uh, in the Republic of Ireland. And it seemed to me and to many other um, Christians in the Republic at that time that the combined forces of the media and the body politic, the majority of the TDs, the former president and so on, were firmly stacked against the historic definition of marriage. In fact, if you wish to hold graciously to a biblical understanding of marriage, you were met with all sorts of insults. Being a Christian with an orthodox view on anthropology was to be on the wrong side of history. But one of my minister friends, it was actually a Reformed Presbyterian minister in Letterkenny, Mark Lockridge, and he observed something was happening amongst Christian people at that time. And it was that many Christians found themselves becoming much more bold in speaking for Christ and his word, whether in one-on-one -on -one conversation or over social media. Something was happening. Although we were a minority and people didn't like what we had to say, we, we, we got a growing sense of boldness in sharing uh, the message of Christ. And to repeat William Taylor's words, the publicity sets people talking about Jesus and then Christians, emboldened by the Spirit or by the suffering of some, speak out. Some would say that the, the West, and in fact many would say, the West, as it drifts from its Judeo-Christian moorings, will some soon become an increasingly hostile place for those who follow Jesus Christ. But I think we should take encouragement from Paul's situation here this evening. And that is, God can use 
opposition to embolden his people. And that's all part of discipleship. And what I would say simply to our new elders, um, you may be tasked with leading God's people into a very different Europe in the number of years that lie ahead, into that new scenario. As God emboldens you, embolden people within this congregation. But there's one more thing that I'd like to say before finishing. At the very outset, I asked, how would you describe your circumstances? Um, God may choose to use your circumstances and what has happened in your life to advance the gospel, but he also may use what has happened to you as a means of strengthening other people who are going through what you might have gone through yourself. And as you testify to the grace of God carrying you through maybe a period of ill health, relational difficulty, severe temptation, financial hardship, despair or loss, so he's able to strengthen those to whom you minister. And you can read about that particularly in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 to 4. So, going back to the very start, rather than our difficult circumstances precluding us from leadership, I would actually argue from what Paul has written here, that our circumstances under the providence of God actually prepare us for leadership. I'm going to quote three people before I finish. Henry Nolan noted that a Christian leader should be a wounded healer, a very famous book of his. And he writes, In our woundedness we can become a source of life for others. And I think, wasn't it Tozer who wrote, All great Christians have been wounded souls. All great Christians have been wounded souls. And I'll leave the final words to the godly William Henry. Since our troubles may tend to the good of many, we ought to rejoice. And then what does he encourage us to do? Whatever our circumstances are, let us leave it to Christ. Which way he will make us serviceable to his glory. Amen.